Good morning, church. There is no easy way to do this, and I will just say that this situation is not ideal. Amen? Well, here we are at home once more, keeping one another safe, and it's time to preach. This morning, Andy isn't with me because uh, he had a, a family emergency, which actually I'll talk about in my sermon. And frankly, I switched the text for this morning because I couldn't stand to preach about apocalypse. And uh, that may mean that I'm a weaker preacher than you could hope for for your church, but this is where we are this morning. So as we are is how we're coming. The scripture that I did choose was from Isaiah 55, 1 through 9. Hear this word from the prophet. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you that have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, and come to me. Listen, so that you might live. I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. See, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. See, you shall call nations that you do not know, and nations that you do not know shall run to you. Because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their way and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord, that God may have mercy on them and to our God, so that he will abundantly pardon. For your thoughts are not my thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts. Higher than your thoughts. Let us pray. Gracious and holy God, thank you. Thank you for all that is. It is hard to pray that prayer today because what is, is difficult. But your thoughts are not our thoughts. We do not make this world in which we live, the problems and sufferings and sins that are in it, the death and dying and difficulty, the trauma. We do not lay that at your feet, and yet we do wonder. We ask why, and we wonder how, and we beg you to help. And so we give you thanks amongst and amidst all of these questions for the places where your promises stand and where we can, in fact, rely on you to share grace, to be present, to walk with us in all of our days and ways. Amen. So I love to listen to music while I write, and there is a lot of writing in quarantine. And since we've all been uh, stay at home, I've been able to listen to a lot more music. I'm particularly obsessed in this season with a mix of indie rock and roll and opera. And uh, since I write so much, I've been getting to listen to a lot of rock and roll and opera. And Wednesday night, I needed it so badly because I was sad and I needed the reminder that 
beauty can come out of ugliness and darkness and life out of struggle and I mean isn't that what rock and roll is so it's grace from the unexpected places and I was listening to a favorite band an indie band called Alabama Shakes that um, many of you probably know but I remembered something as I was listening to them uh, that I heard the lead singer Brittany Howard say one time about why she writes music and she said I write because I can say and think through things I can't say anywhere else I find out what I think when I write and sometimes it's good just to tell a story and hopefully that story for me comes to life and so I was thinking about what Brittany had said and how I would tell the story today the story that we're in and the story that I'm in and the story that our text finds us in I love what she said and it's where I was on Wednesday I really needed to figure out how to tell this story because on that morning as some of you already know I was sitting with our beloved Goble family in the midst of their pain as they found out that Andy's sister Krista who is vibrant and hilarious and raunchy and passionate just like the kind of person who embodies life had passed from life to death and sitting there in that silence and hearing that intermittent tears from the family or the kids playing in the room nearby or waiting for those phone calls that always come in the midst of a crisis remembering Krista together as we knew her in life the privilege of being with a person in those moments those uncontrolled unpredictable moments of their deepest suffering was such a gift and I saw how contrary and contradictory that is I've been seeing it for weeks but in these moments we know the promises of Lent right like we're in Lent we're so close to Easter but we remember the original promises of Ash Wednesday we are dust and to dust we truly shall return we don't know the moment of our death or the death of those that we love the most not the day, not the minute. We only sit with one another and wait for what information or knowing can come. And we often don't know that information even when we want it. A dear friend of mine once said, in any situation, when in doubt, just keep the patient comfortable. So much of my world in the last, oh, I would say 10 years, but definitely in the last three weeks and has been keeping the patient comfortable against all of my instincts, right? Like the ones that want to fight and to shake my fist at the sky and to change the rules, to find another way, to numb out, to do something different. In the cycle of life and death, we have one job and that is to keep the patient comfortable in some way. We press water into unwilling hands. We ask if they'll at least eat something small like a piece of toast or if we can possibly take charge of the next set of phone calls and say, friend, I love you. I'm so sorry. I'm here. And we keep the patient comfortable. But why? I mean, why does this dust, this dust, speak to that dust and say, shh, 
it's going to be okay, even if it's not okay, not at all. Where did, how do we do that? How do we do that well? Well, from a place of faith, we do it because of what the prophet Isaiah tells us. Listen carefully to me, listen, so that you might live. I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. My steadfast, sure love for David. An everlasting covenant. This is the season of Lent leading up to Easter, and in a few weeks, Jesus will be crucified. And it's a terrible death. It's a permanent death. And we'll wait. And like at Advent, waiting for his birth into the world, we'll wait. And we'll wait on Friday. And we'll wait on Saturday. Oh, God, I hate Holy Saturday. Especially this year. There's no end in sight to this Holy Week. It's going to be dark. I'm already thinking of that. And we're weeks away dust and ashes and dirt and the tomb closed tomb and that Sunday that Easter Sunday isn't guaranteed the tomb after all may not roll open we like the disciples after their teacher's death don't know when or even if this will end but we'll remember God's promises and we'll know we'll hope We'll remember that Easter was and has been promised, that God has said to us, hey, do you thirst? Are you hungry for life? Do you have a desire to live? Come to me. Death does not have the last word. But wait. I mean, the lonesome bedsides of the suffering, which right now seems to be the whole world, every literal hospital and every home where we sit now trapped in many ways, unable to care for one another, ourselves in the way that we're accustomed to. These places where we sit and wait and suffer are where we simultaneously hope for a miracle. Arise, be healed, live forever. We miss you while praying beyond prayer that we will simply stop suffering. The bedsides of the suffering, these bedsides ask me, no, demand of me that I wrestle with the big question. And that question I've been asking, oh, so often lately, is do I really believe this God? Do I really believe this promise? sitting at this place, holding hands with death, watching it work in small ways and large ways in my life and across this world. Do I honestly believe this hype? Listen again to the scripture. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You that have no money, come, buy, eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Incline your ear and come to me, listen, so that you may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Listen to me so you may live. What does that even mean? Because I'm sitting here and there is so much more than just a friend dying or gone. I mean, the church is changing under our feet. And even, yes, dying in significant ways across denominations, across places at least the ways that we've known it. And our understanding of how democracy works is crumbling. 
our very creation is crying out and groaning for relief. And there seems to be no limit to what is wasting away in front of me. I imagine all of you have similar experiences. All of the foundations of what we know, it appears, are shifting or disintegrating right now in some way. And so I wonder, and I admit this may be dark, how to tell this story and how to still come out believing it and how to tell it with hope. I mean, what does it mean to come to the waters? What does it mean buy these delicious gifts without price? What does it mean eat what is good? Because these rooms are ugly and death sucks and I hate it. And I ask knowing that before me in the passing away that is all of these things that I just named, there's a signal and a sign of my own death. And perhaps that's what I'm really afraid of. Perhaps in 50 years or maybe tomorrow, and I think, can I bring myself to believe the hype in time? Do I believe that God has given us enough so that this death means almost nothing compared to the promise of eternal life? I promise there's good news in this sermon. But you can't get to hope without going through the fire. So the prophet Isaiah, whose words I read earlier, is a prophetic visionary and a sober realist. He is not blowing smoke anywhere. He's not offering unicorns or rainbows, miraculous healing or sudden fixes. He is talking about what is here. And now he talks the language of bread, of clear, cool water, of reality. Perhaps Isaiah received this word from God after visiting a market. Sometimes I think about this. You know, even without mass media, the ancient market square was bustling with commerce and people rushing to buy things and struggling to sell. Some people begging for a handout so they too could have bread that day so they could really live. And like Isaiah, we're all finite creatures beset with daily needs. We all need water and food, a roof, love. We are patients who must be kept comfortable. God could have created us without those needs, but God didn't choose to do that. We depend instead on God in some mysterious and strange and confusing way. And yet the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the scriptures tell us. And God is near to us with everything we need. And Isaiah reminds us that what we really need is God. In Luke 4, when Jesus is tempted in the desert, he reminds the devil of this passage and says, no one can survive on bread alone. In this time of isolation, I'm realizing how much that's true, how, how much I need human interaction. And when I interact with my houseless neighbors who are still suffering, suffering even more because of their lack of resources and the fact that people aren't even able to give them money in the same ways anymore, they're also saying, I just miss I miss my people, I miss being together, I miss communion, I miss community. Why do we rush around then seeking something that can never really and fully satisfy? I mean, even with full bellies, we rush past God seeking to buy what God has provided us freely. We want cheap grace, not costly grace, right? We want, we want grace that doesn't matter, that doesn't ask anything of us, of course, and it seems like this is what God is offering here, but in fact what God is saying is, 
I offer it to you freely. But you have to accept it and what comes with it, which is care, which is following the commandments, which is community, which is neighbor, which is life. You have to want to live. And God says, listen, come to me and hear me so that your soul may live. Our souls don't live well when we're not connected, when we don't love. Our constant striving to satisfy ourselves is doomed to failure. If we just keep doing what we always do, they're fruitless efforts. We settle for scraps when we could be feasting. We settle for surviving when we could live, even thrive in the midst of harsh realities. In addition to ignoring what is available for free, this grace, this generosity that God gives us, this abundance of care, compassion, steadfast love. And according to Isaiah, we're also paying for things that we don't need in the first place. Walking past the signs that say, you know, free steak, all you can eat buffet, and fighting to pay top dollar for old bologna. We settle for what's really just cast off. We settle for surviving when we could live, if we lived well, if we lived the way we were invited to, if we accepted the grace that was given in the forms it's given. In the southwestern U.S. where the humidity is low, you might be thirsty and not even know it. Uh, some of you may have traveled there recently. I know I was there in September and your sweat evaporates so fast you don't even realize that you're becoming dehydrated. So. Whether you feel thirsty or not, you drink a little water as often as you can. And in Grand Canyon National Park, for example, there are signs that are placed along the trails that remind you to stop and drink water. It says, stop, drink water, you're thirsty. How can it be that we don't even recognize our own thirst? That's what the situation has offered me as a blessing is the realization that in some ways I didn't realize how thirsty I was for, for people, for connection, for beauty, for grace. And in this experience of death, whether our friend and sister Krista or that of so many who are suffering because of this pandemic, this experience of death is terrible. But it's also revealing beauty in the ugliness and opportunities, at least to me, in its limitations. We're making blessed meaning in the midst of suffering. As, as I watch people prove our human spirit and our divine spark to bring out of what is ugly something that matters and will last. In the Haggadah, the Jewish story of the Passover, which we will walk alongside our Jewish brothers and sisters and siblings next week. The time of the desert celebrated in the Shabbat by every Jew in the world every Friday. The faithful ask this question, the same question, and they ask it in this way. With how many layers has God blessed us? This is the Jewish people asking this question who have suffered so many things so often and so long with how many layers has god blessed us like an onion these blessings you have to peel them to find the richness 
to find the flavor and the life and the Haggadah says, had he taken us out of Egypt without delivering judgments against them, it would have been enough. Had he not fulfilled our needs for 40 years in the desert without feeding us manna, it would have been enough. Had he fed us manna without giving us the Sabbath, it would have been enough. Had he given us the Sabbath without drawing us close to the foot of the Mount Sinai, it would have been enough. Had he not fed us, had he not let us rest, had he not destroyed our enemies, had he, had he, had he, it would have been enough. I love this this reading because it reminds me that no matter what is done for us, it will have been enough, no matter how small, because without God we have and are so small. We don't even know we are thirsty. We don't know what we're missing. Why do we give thanks? Because it's always enough, perhaps just enough, but enough nonetheless. We breathe and we give thanks we love this day and we give thanks. We see God's face for just a split second, a moment, a breath, and we give thanks. It is enough. We come to the waters and we drink. We take bread and it is life. It is enough. It is of no cost to do this. It is free. It is grace. It is ours. And it is enough and we are thankful and I remember the beliefs of my own ancestors the the mighty Irish the holy Druids and their belief in thin places thin places are those places in life where God has worn the fabric of existence so fine like a child's baby blanket that we can almost see the mystery revealed between the divine and uh, the concrete Thin places like the moment a baby is born and first breathes or even the moment of final breath when we pass to God's arms forever. Those are thin places of mystery. And the moment of baptism, of coming into community fully as a child of God, new again. And the communion table where we hunger to rejoin as a community once more. So hungry for that where all are welcome, rejecting the, the reality of this world, where some are left behind or left out, the table where there really is enough and nothing costs anything. Thank you, Jesus, for thin places that renew my faith in your promises. Where we meet God anew and God meets us and we see the face of the one who made us. And I, I remember so often in these last days, those places in my own life and in the lives of those I sit with in these moments, even at the foot of death, I remember these places and I realize that I do with all of my heart believe the hype. I believe that God's grace is here and makes up the moment before death and the moment just after and that there is a fullness to God's promises and that this story is part of a much larger one and that death does not ever have the last word and while our time on earth may be difficult, Jesus has guaranteed that we are ultimately a part of God's victory over sin and destruction in all its forms. And I sit at the side of the dying and the dead and the suffering and the lonely and the lost and the houseless and the despairing 
and I remember the promises and I believe them and I am not afraid and I hope and I become more ready for Easter because Jesus rises again and Jesus is resurrected and Jesus has new life. As we say at the Holy Table, Christ has died and Christ has risen and Christ will come again. And so will we. The promise is true and the bread is free and the grace is freely given and there is nothing to fear and the table is laid and it is grace, it is grace, it is grace. Mercy upon mercy upon mercy. And God loves you and the promise has been made. And God's promises are full and complete and present and active because God says, fear not, eat, drink, I am with you. There is enough, there is enough. There is enough. And as Krista Goble always said, always, always, and will say into eternity, take and be thankful. Take and be thankful. May this week bless you, friends, with whatever is enough. And may you not fear. And may you find places to sit with those who need to be made comfortable even as they suffer. God bless you. I miss you, beloved. Grace and peace. Let's sing the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make God's face to shine upon you and be gracious, gracious gracious to you the lord lift up god's countenance upon you and give you give you give you peace go now in peace to love and serve the lord Amen.